whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each episode, we invite someone who you'd see in the theater, either on stage, backstage, or in the house, to discuss an original cast album they love. And today, we are joined by Heather Hurley. Ta-da! How are you? Am I your first in-the-house slash fangirl person? Technically not. My brother was the very first one um, way back whenever that was, uh, talking about Anyone Can Whistle. He was the first. But you you are the first who I'm just meeting just now, here, just today, who so I've only met on the internet. Um, you are at Medi- how do you, how do you pronounce I am it? at Mediva M. Mediva M. Yes. Okay, on Twitter. And you, you and I started following each other a long time ago. I don't remember quite I how that happened. I don't even know how that came about. But it was awesome, and it continues to this day. And it's through you that I met Carrie Ginsburg. It's a little bit of six degrees of Kevin it, Bacon. A little bit. I well, think. six degrees of Carrie Ginsburg, right? And now here you is to talk about what show are you going to talk about? Indeed. So today I'll be talking about the 1996 Broadway revival of Chicago, of Sh- the musical. Chicago, yes. Come on, babe, why don't we paint the town? And all that jazz, I'm going to rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. And all that jazz Start the car I know a whoopee spot Where the gin is cold But the piano's hot It's just a noisy hall Where there's a nightly brawl And all that jazz I I mean, this is a great album, obviously, and one that I think, I mean, the show's still running, so obviously something of a success. It's got something going on. 20 years later, it's still still cruising along. How did this show come into your life? So musical theater purists will love this because it actually came into my life via the early 21st century movie version starring oh the uh, the uh, um, oh gosh i can't remember anybody's Catherine Zeta Zeta Jones. Jones. there we go and um <laughs> Renee Zellweger indeed and Richard Gere and Tifa at Al yes best picture 2003 it's yes. quite that was the first so that was the first time you that was my first exposure so i okay. grew up in a very um, conservative religious household. We were very musical, but mm-hmm. we were musical in the sense of music at church. Okay. So there was a lot of everybody plays an instrument or three. Everybody oh. sings. Everybody knows is ready at, at a moment's notice to perform in front of a group. But music for us was all about what you heard. There wasn't a lot of focus on dance or costume mm-hmm. or any of those sorts of things. Okay. And so I became very proficient in a technical sense at being musical without really being exposed to theatrical forms of music outside of the sort of Disney movie musicals of right. the golden era, you know, Mary Poppins and mm-hmm. Sound of Music and all of that, which was wonderful and sort of got you to realize, hey, music can be more than just what you hear. It can be what you see as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fast forward to shortly when I was uh, out of college visiting a friend over the weekend, uh, and she pulled out her giant, vast collection of DVDs, and she said, what do you want to see? How about Chicago? Have you seen it? And I hadn't, and I said, sure, let's pop it in. So from the first moments that Chicago starts, 
and yeah. you see and hear things, you realize, oh my goodness gracious, <laughs> this can be so much more than just people singing notes mm -hmm. and harmonizing with each other. And, you know, the great thing about Chicago in particular is that it is so much the opposite of button down conservative you know, Midwesternism that yeah. I was used to. It's there's sex and there's murder and it's yeah. all about jazz and liquor and, and all of these great <laughs> forbidden fruits. And so it was really a moment of wow for me. And, you know, the music is great. So many songs like hit after hit after hit. And certainly some of the songs like all that jazz in particular, I was familiar with. I'd heard them. Who knows how? It's just one of those things right. where you hear something. They're just in the air. They're yeah. They're on a songs. TV show or in a commercial or yeah. whatever. Um, but, you know, when you listen, when you watch the movie and certainly when you see the musical and, and listen to all of the songs on the soundtrack, you realize that there are a lot of of great songs there and a lot mm -hmm. of a lot of good music um, and so Chicago and of course being from the Midwest Chicago is very much sort of a talisman you know that it's our New York it's the, it's the capital of the Midwest mm -hmm. and as since childhood I've been there many times on visits to see the city I'm doing air quotes the sure. city right and so something that is so dazzling and also set in the Midwest with a historical aspect. Like it hit all of my sweet spots, right? So the first time that I went to New York, which wasn't too, too long ago, uh, 2008, 2009. No, I think it was 2009. I looked this up. So it was 2009. I'm in New York for the first time going to Broadway. Got to see a show, of mm -hmm. course. And it has to be Chicago because obviously I'm me. So when I saw Chicago on Broadway in the spring of 2009, the role of Mama was played by a pre-modern family, Sofia Vergara. Oh, wow. It was during a very short interlude where she did Mama. And that is an interesting take on Mama. Yeah. Because hmm. she's not at all, you know, what you think of right. for that role. Um, she did fine. You know, it was... Right. It was me experiencing first Broadway show and it's Chicago. I'm in New York for the first time. Sophia Vergara, who at that time wasn't as well known right. as she is now because Modern Family didn't premiere until September of that year. Um, so there's this, you know, tiny Hispanic woman, Latina woman <laughs> on the stage belting her heart out all in right. this role. It was great. So, wow. yeah, very captivating. I'm a, I'm a front row seat girl all the way. So, oh, really? Okay. So I was, you know, right in sequence in my face, mm -hmm. which was great. Yeah. I saw this in, it was my wife's first Broadway musical also, um, when, like 2003. I think I saw it right before it moved out of the Schubert to where it is now, which, as I looked this up earlier, because it's moved a couple times. Right now it's at the Ambassador, and I saw it at the Schubert sometime in 2002 and 2003, and it was Tay Diggs as Billy Flynn. That was my, that was the piece Ooh. of stunt casting in there. I, yeah, I thought he was great. And it was right before the movie, I think the movie came out in Christmas of that, year or maybe the next year um and the woman who played velma was in the film in the chorus and is one of the the um the prisoners which was a fun little like watching the movie going hey we saw her do film that's that's fun the common thread of course in the movie and in the musical as well for me are that my favorite characters are billy flynn and mama mm -hmm. and i think of it sort of as being a little bit like Will and Grace. So on the TV show Will and Grace, you've got the two leads, the titular leads, Will mm -hmm. and Grace, who I think of a little bit like um, 
Velma and Roxy. Sure. In that, you know, these are the main characters. These are the people you're going to root for. But on Will and Grace, I always loved the Jack and Karen scenes. Mm-hmm. They, to me, were the showstoppers. And whenever they walked in, I knew things were going to get good. Mm-hmm. And so Billy Flynn and Mama, to me, are that way. They okay. are like the spice in the dish. Right. Um, and so with my first exposure being the movie and having Richard Gere and Queen Latifah, two big personalities, mm-hmm. who I, of course, loved in the roles. Um, and then it's interesting to look back at other um, casts, other people who have played each of those roles on Broadway, and then to kind of say, like, Jerry Orbach was on Broadway, the he, law and order he was. guy? He was very much on Broadway. What? Yeah. So it, years it's, and years. it's always interesting to me with actors who are better known for maybe their t- television or movie work mm-hmm. to, to look back and realize, hey, they started in the theater or yeah. now they're going back to it or mm-hmm. something like that. They can sing. They can dance. Yeah, most of them can. That's especially on television. That's something you find all the time because those people work in the theater and then audition, you know, end up on sitcoms and things. So they usually. So if for those who don't know, do you think you could give a quick summary of the plot of Chicago? Give a, a, a quick sort of sketchy, quick and dirty, which is the, I guess, protagonist is Roxy Hart, who we come upon after she shoots her lover dead uh, after some machinations, ends up in prison in Illinois, and she meets uh, a whole cast of characters there, a la Orange is the New Black, mm-hmm. including Velma Kelly, who is a notorious, very well-known sort of murderess, and then a number of other murderesses. And she meets uh, Mama, the matron of the prison. Billy Flynn becomes her lawyer after some negotiation. And there is much jazz and much drama in seeing what happens next and Mm. whether Roxy will be found guilty or not guilty. There is, in the way of all tabloid stories, a pregnancy scare. Yeah. And, or is it? And Roxy and Velma have a sort of combative relationship. So I think of them as sort of the the Kim and Khloe Kardashian of like, which is the new hotness that particular day? <laughs> because they each want to be the most famous of the Kardashian sisters. Mm-hmm. So they um, have a little bit, so they go back and forth about... Um, you know, Roxy is Velma Kelly is originally the sort of most famous star of the show of the prison. And then Roxy all of a sudden is the new hotness. So she becomes the the talk of the town and the focus of all of the papers and the press coverage. And then once Roxy's trial is over and she's found not guilty, it's sort of an anticlimax because she is not interesting anymore because someone else becomes the belle of the ball, right? Courtney Kardashian shows up and starts having some drama, if you will. <laughs> so then the, the show kind of ends with um, Velma and Roxy sort of doing a, a number together and you realize that there are two more links and probably a long chain of women who were the, the star of the, the news for a hot minute. They're 15 minutes of fame are over and now they're just sort of regular people again. Mm-hmm. And that can be a big adjustment if you're used to, if your 15 minutes of fame were really hot and really bright, yeah. then that's a big downfall. Yeah. Not, it's not to say that Velma and Roxy don't have great moments and absolutely you know, interesting mm-hmm. characters to me, but I find as I go back to Chicago and as I think about some of the themes of the musical that I take away, 
um, and considering the the post truth world that we are living in. You know, I, I love the ideas. I love so I love in the song Razzle Dazzle the idea of kind of fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, whatever you want your story to be, tell it. Give up the old three ring circus, stun and stagger up. When you're in trouble, go into your dance. Though you are stiffer than a girder, they'll let you get away with murder. Razzle dazzle and you've got a romance. Dress for it, make it happen, and the people will just go with you. Right. Um, I also like in the song uh, When You're Good to Mama, the idea that you can't get something for nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's a, it's a lot of tit for tat. If you want my gravy, pepper my ragu, spice it up for mama, she'll get hot for you. When they pass that basket, folks contribute too. You put in for mama, she'll put out for you. I guess those themes have really resonated with me. And and not that I've ever been to a women's prison yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> right, knock yeah. on wood. Um, you never know. You never know. But orange is the new black. Very hot again. It's true. Um, I, I, I love the idea that... You know, you got to pull your uh, hoist yourself by your own petard, right? Pull mm-hmm. yourself up by your own bootstraps. And um, these days in particular, it's like whatever you whatever character you want to be, do it, mm-hmm. you know. And so for me, in a very personal way, you know, when I am someone who is thrilled to be interviewing for this job, that's the character I'm playing. Or super happy to be running this meeting, that's the character I'm playing too. You know, I have a boring day job, so I do a lot of things that I have to psych myself up for. We all have that. People, Even people who have sexy jobs have to psych themselves up mm-hmm. for it. And a lot, of, a lot of it is fake it till you make it. You know, dress for it, tell yourself that you're going to kick ass at it, and you will. It certainly is easier to get in the kick ass frame of mind if you tell yourself, I'm about to kick ass. At this. That's very I true. I just realized you normally bleep the podcast, That's so that fine. would be a series of bleeps. We'll slide it around. Or it's no big deal. I use PBS rules. It's so you know, if, if PBS wouldn't do it, I don't. I don't do it. Or NPR, I should say. I, I find this. A, I don't. I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I, but I find it interesting that you you brought it up that you came from a very religious background, and this show is kind of a, a quintessential rebellion kind of show. With I mean, in the most like stereotypical way with like you say jazz and sex and drinking and muted trumpets i mean it's all just kind of it's all just out there um so but this i I, this idea you just brought up is very interesting to me of this idea of fake it till you make it or be who you are and then the rest will kind of come where where when did that come into your your sort of philosophy as someone who was brought up in in a sort of more strict environment I think, so I grew up in the Midwest, in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. Wisconsin, go Packers, yeah. and moved to D.C. Um, to work at federal government agency that shall not be named in 2008. So that was sort of that quintessential 
girl moves from the heartland to the coast to start her life anew. Um, I was very interested in civil in public service in coming to work in Washington D.C., which is an area with great history and a lot of things that appeal to me. Um, and so it was a time of a lot of change. And I realized I don't know anyone here. I don't have any family here. I didn't go to college out here. So for me, this was a chance to be whoever the the version 2.0 of me was. Mm -hmm. And so when, while I did not, you know, shoot my lover uh, during a, a <laughs> post-coital encounter. Good, good to Again, know. yet, yeah, knock yet, on wood. Right, yet. Um, that idea of, you know, whatever has happened in the past, good or bad or otherwise, that's the past. Now you look forward hmm. and now you figure out where your route is from here. You know, for Roxy, that's one thing. Mine was very different <laughs> from that. But it's all about figuring out who you are now mm -hmm. and taking what you can from your past. And like I said, being the, the best you that you can be. I love in the musical, the idea that I think there's a line in Razzle Dazzle that says something like, how can they see with sequins in their eyes? Yeah. Again, it's the idea of not necessarily style over substance, but style being just as important as substance. So in things like for me, like, you know, trying to tamp down the Midwestern accent when you can <laughs> think like a coastal elite okay. and the coastal elitism will follow as some people these days. You have very Midwestern say. diction, I will say, though. You have very nice diction, which is, I think, something I have a lot of family in Milwaukee and that is something they all share in common. They have really nice diction. Well, so. we try. It's yes, in it's the good. contract. They don't let you out of that. It's a lifetime contract. I think it's really interesting that you... You seem to have taken the best possible message from this musical because the musical really is is about style over substance. It's about message over truth. It it is what you say is more how you say something is more important than what you actually say. And the characters at every turn have their own truths like you say, you know, mama has has her rules and if you're good to her, she's good to you. But she will turn on you. I mean, she turns on Velma pretty easily because there's only so much time and space she can give. It is a finite amount of, of of what she can give back. So when Velma's on the down and Roxy's on the up, or I shouldn't even say Velma's on the down, it's when Roxy's on the up, that's where Mama goes and has really no problem, especially in the movie because they cut class from the, you never get that little, little bit at the end where Velma and Mama kind of commiserate as two mm -hmm. people who've been doing this for a long time. Whatever happened to old values and fine morals and good breeding? Now no one even says oops when they're passing their Any girl that touch your privates for a deuce. And even kids will kick your shins and give you kids will kick your shins and give you sass. Nobody's got no class. When the movie takes that out, Mama loses a little depth to me as being someone who you go, Oh, there's a lot she thinks about things, you know, a little more than than the movie kind of gives her gives her credit for. 
Yeah, there's a, it's a quote, I think, from the movie Men in Black, where Will Smith says something like, he'll point to Tommy Lee Jones and he'll say, old and busted, and then he'll point to himself and say, new hotness. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that is sort of a little bit of a theme of mm-hmm. just because you're pie in the sky today doesn't mean that tomorrow you won't be old news. Yeah. Well, and that's the end of the show. I mean, she gets the, the, the whole thing is the showcase, and then Roxy gets off, and she's released because the story's over, but she's still out there and then she gets a double act with Velma and everything and everything's happy and then it indi- I mean it's very it's very fossy in that moment to me of this who does finally get a co-book writing credit on this show but he of turning the condemnation from the characters onto the audience and sort of being like these people are despicable and horrible and terrible mm-hmm. but you're watching them for your entertainment and what does that say about you and not letting anyone off without a hook, and it's it, off the hook, which is a just such an odd thing to do <laughs> to a musical. And something Kander and Ebb did, also in Cabaret, a lot was turn that back on to. to I think these musicals will. I mean, not that Chicago has ever stopped running, but I think we're going to start paying attention to Kander and Ebb a little more, specifically Cabaret in Chicago in in the near future, um, with a little renewed interest maybe because these things have these sort of cyclical, timeless things that seem to happen. With the uh, the rise of, well, I mean, this is glitz over glamour, and and of course, cabaret is literally fascism. So that's you know, <laughs> there's there you know timely. Well, yeah, let's hope not, but yes. <laughs> I want to talk more about Chicago, Heather, but in the meantime, uh, will you follow me to the green room? Absolutely, I will. Great, let's go. Welcome to the green room. I've got a message here. Both messages this week are anonymous. I've got a message here. Midwestern Gothic at Signature Theater, March 14th to April 30th. For more information, visit sigtheater.org. You might have noticed that was a little bit sped up. It's because that was longer than 30 words. Let's try to keep it to 30 words here, folks. This next one is also longer than 30 words. Second message this week here in the green room. But it's a little bit more personal to the show, so I will allow it. Elephant and Piggies, We Are in a Play, a hit show based on the great series of children's books by Mo Willems, just finished a run off-Broadway at the New Victory. The cast album, featuring past guest Evan Casey as Gerald the Elephant, is available on iTunes and Amazon. So go check that out. My son absolutely loves uh, Mo Willems' uh, Elephant and Piggy books, and they are wonderful books, and it's a great show. And I highly recommend you check it out. If you'd like to get a message on The Green Room, it couldn't be simpler. All you have to do is go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review for the original cast. It takes about five seconds. It's a really easy process. And if you do that and send an email to originalcastpod at gmail.com with your iTunes username so I can prove you did it, you get five seconds on this podcast to talk about whatever you want. Plug anything you'd like. Um, If it's longer than five seconds, I'll speed it up like I did here, or I'll cut you off. I'll do one of those things. It depends on how I'm feeling that day. Today I was kind of feeling like editing stuff, so sped it on up. Several people have sent me emails saying they're banking their message for a little bit later when they have something to plug. That's fine. Uh, If you want to send me your message early with a later read date on it, I can do that. We have our first sponsor this week. The original cast this week is brought to you by Flying V Theater's production of Brother Mario by Seamus Sullivan. What happens when you cross Anton Chekhov with Koopa Troopas, Fire Flowers, and Mustaches? The answer is Flying V Theater's latest production, Brother Mario by Seamus Sullivan. In this existential exploration of Super Mario Brothers, Mario begins to wonder if there's more to life than jumping, go-karts, and princesses in other castles. Directed by Paul Reisman and starring Lee Liebeskind, performances begin February 23rd, so reserve your ticket at flyingv.brownpapertickets.com. All right, back to the show. Were there other musicals that had come to you before and just not stuck in the same way, or was it 
was was this was it unusual for a musical like this to stick with you or was this very early in your experience with musicals when you first came into it? It really was pretty early. I Mm -hmm. mean, at college, I think one year they did the sound of music as sort of the spring play, you know, the big Mm -hmm. production for the drama folks. But really my exposure was classical music and religious hymns, traditional music Mm -hmm. up till that time. And anything that had been turned into a movie starring Julie Andrews. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) Chicago is like a very different way from Mary Poppins. And and it certainly hit me. And just like all of the the seductive slickness of it, I thought was great. You know, there's it's sparkly, it's shiny, Mm -hmm. there's stockings. And just even in the movie, there's a lot of innovative visual effect kind of stuff. Yes. And certainly in the stage production as well for things like Sulbach Tango and the use of very simple but effective props and effect to to get imagery across that you're not actually seeing. Mm -hmm. And that really hit home to me when I saw the stage production, because, of course, we're not flashing to outside the courthouse Mm -hmm. or in the bedroom with Roxy and those sorts of exterior scenes. On the stage, everything, all of the action is happening right there. Mm -hmm. And so in order to communicate events, they have to make it work in the theater. And I love that in any theatrical production. I love to sit in the front row so that I can get a peek at some of that stagecraft so that I can sort of see in the wings or Mm -hmm. a close-up on the the magic of the theater. Because as a a theater goer, I am continually amazed by the fact that the uh, actors and actresses between scenes don't all bump into each other in the dark. How do they do that? (laughs) They figured out a way. They've Mm -hmm. got a system. But I really love all of that sort of magic that makes the production happen. And, you know, sometimes the the front row seats are the cheap seats because they're considered too close. Right. I I love being too close because I love being right in it. And you just feel like the action is happening around you. Oh, that's great. You see, And you see a lot of theater and a lot of live performance, if your Twitter is to be believed. At least a lot more than I do, I will say. One of the, the disadvantages to being kind of more in it is you don't have time to go, I mean, the joke I can't, I have rehearsal is, is real because you can't, I can't go see my friend's show because I'm working on mine. Like that doesn't work out. So, I mean, you, you see, I, 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 and it's great to see on Twitter. I mean, you're every, anybody who comes to town, you seem to go, I mean, you saw Andy Zaltzman when he came to town. I saw that, which was, God, I wish I'd gone to see that. And you're at live podcast tapings and you're out there do, seeing all this stuff. And I just think that's, I would love to be doing that if I had the time. And it is I always wonder what it's like to go see all those things like that. And that's that's really interesting to be like you you want to be up and, and to see it like that. That's such a wonderful – it's exactly what I want to hear as somebody who's putting this stuff on, that that's what you want to see. And this is such a great area. You know, we're mm-hmm. spoiled with riches in D.C. to have so many dozens and dozens of venues putting on great work all of the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, plays, musicals, whatever you're into, there's something out there for you. Every weekend, you know, every every week there's something new. Um, I just recently saw The Secret Garden at Shakespeare Theater Company and sat in the front row for that. I had never, I knew nothing about it. I didn't know anything about the plot. I didn't know any of the songs, but it came to town. And so Mm -hmm. I said, heck yes, I'm going to see this. And it was great. It was wonderful. I'm looking forward to, in a couple of weeks, seeing Titanic at Signature Theater. Okay. Which I'm told is wonderful as well. They've got kind of an interesting 
seating thing going on with its sort of the stage is in the middle of like a 360 yeah. seating. So I, you know, it's um, it's an embarrassment of riches in this area, and I might as well take advantage, right? Live mm-hmm. in the dream. Sure, absolutely. I completely. How do you choose what to see? Just I'm not particular. I'm I, I choose by not choosing and just selecting E all of the above. Okay. And I certainly have venues that I'm very familiar with and that I love. I love the Kennedy Center. Mm. I love that's a, a great venue, at least for a patron, for an attendee to go to. It's such a, a wonderful building and they've gotten in a lot of great touring productions and I love, you know, even going to the orchestra there, just the live performances there, mm-hmm. I think are really great. I don't, I certainly don't know what it's like to perform in. Um, well, but... neither do I. No, you... <laughs> <laughs> I left the door open just yeah, in case. No, that's I didn't a, no, know. no. Well, I mean, I had a play at Page to Stage last Labor Day and I'm hoping to have another one in uh, this coming Page to Stage, but those aren't in the theater spaces. They're in, you know, I should say, they're not in the either the Eisenhower or the, or the Opera House. They're in inside theaters. So, I mean, it's a lovely, absolutely right. Still it's counts. a tr- stellar building. Absolutely amazing. The, the building itself is a work of art and all the art they have around the building. But yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, that's that's so... I, I will say, as somebody who puts on shows, you're always terrified no one's going to come. It's kind of like sure. the ultimate nightmare of like sort of sitting there and you open the doors and literally no one walks in. And we've all done that. I mean, everybody has had that experience of being like, well... I don't know if we didn't market this really well or nobody could find the place we are. I mean, all that sort of thing happens. So it's great to to know of people who are out there to sort of like, yeah, that and this and this and I'll pick that and I'll go see that. I mean, that's so that's such a wonderful thing. But in all that, I mean, if you're seeing something new all all the time, then it makes a show like this, like the show that you because you, you didn't really I don't think you had too many other choices when I asked you what show you wanted to do. It was it was pretty much Chicago. It was if I remember pretty cr- much this. Yeah. So to have this still stick with you through all that of seeing new shows and new material and and seeing a lot of things, it sounds like without knowing too much about. It. I mean, have you ever heard Titanic or any? If you're going to go see No, it? other than clips when they would perform on like the Rosie O'Donnell show. I remember sure. when she had the daytime talk show, they mm-hmm. came and did the opening number. And it was, of course, wonderful and mm-hmm. very emotional and that was years and years ago probably when it first opened whenever that was the same year as this chicago and titanic opened the same year ah yeah and so you know obviously it's it's been a while since since then that circumstances allowed me to actually go and see it Mm -hmm. um which is very exciting for looking forward to that good um but yeah i mean when i go whether i'm going to a play or a musical or even a musical performance um, I, I try to go in fresh if I can. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort that's the of... the best way. Yeah, not to sound, you know, like an elitist, but I think that's kind of the purest way without mm-hmm. any preconceptions Absolutely. about what's going to happen or anything to compare it to. You know, when you have someone in a role, I would hate to say, well, he wasn't as good as the guy who played it in the movie or the guy who played it on Broadway or whatever. Right. I'm, I'm happy to have my first impression be what I am seeing in that moment mm-hmm. here in Washington, D.C. So I find that, of course, I don't know what the alternative would be, but I found that it's been very helpful to go in not knowing a whole lot, just yeah. knowing the synopsis that I quickly read in the playbill right. before the lights go down. I mean, that's good because that's how things are written. I mean, things are obviously written to be, like when we write something, you you have to think of like, well, people haven't seen this before. So we have to create all these characters and introduce everything and do all that sort of thing. And so 
that's the way it's intended to be seen. And then, of course, through publicity and through cast albums and through things, these shows leak out and and you they become, like you say, with all that jazz and that song, part of the culture and the sort of un- collective unconscious kind of way. You just know, certain songs you just know whether you have no idea whether you heard them or not. And some little something is lost. I always think when you when you know a show too much before you go and see it. And I always envy people who are seeing something great for the very first time. I'm like, I've talked about this before, but when I went to see Fun Home and there was clearly a lot of people around me who didn't know what was about to happen and the experience they had was you know, amazing, I'm sure. Well, and a perfect example of that is when I saw Hamilton, mm-hmm. which was before it went to Broadway, I saw it at the oh, public Oh, you saw it at the public, theater. that's right, yeah. And it was pretty early on and it had not yet become a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Like it was not even pre-pre-phenomena. It was just very, very quiet. And so it was, a, I think, a Sunday matinee in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I had never even, I had never been to the public. I'd never been into that, to that part of Manhattan even. But I had been interested in the show since Lin-Manuel Miranda did the performance at the White House mm-hmm. of the one song. And so I, after that, followed him on Twitter and kept an eye out for when he announced that tickets would become available, snatched those up and sort of planned the trip to New York around seeing a show, which is not a bad reason not to at plan all. a trip to New York. There are way worse reasons. Absolutely. So when we got there, we went in not really knowing anything other than the song that we had heard from the White House performance and sort of the general history lesson from high school about the Hamilton-Bird duel. Right. And so then the curtain comes up and... It's hip hop. And it's Hamilton. <laughs> it's that cast. And our, yeah. that was, so that was maybe not exactly the same cast because our King George was Brian Darcy James. Right. And I think other than that, it's pretty much exactly the same yeah, as the Broadway cast. And it, it, it was Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know, and people didn't even, of course, people went in knowing almost nothing. You right. know, it was still very new at that time. No one had heard any of the other songs. No one knew how it was going to go. No one knew about the staging. And I, I will never forget, there was, of course, it was a, a full house. And there was one woman who, about midway through it, she was an older woman, and we could hear her saying, it's too long <laughs> and wanting to leave. And I think about that woman now oh, and man. wonder if she realized just what special of an experience she was trying to throw away yeah. and get out of mm-hmm. having seen Hamilton. Because now I think you have to sell a firstborn child or two Something like that. to get yeah. a ticket. Yep. Um, but... Yeah, Hamilton. Hamilton was great, and now Hamilton is taught in schools, right. and you know the Lin Manuel Miranda is sort of leader of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, doing his thing, and it's I think brought people to the theater that maybe wouldn't have otherwise mm-hmm. because they're they're seeing people that look like them on the stage. They're they're seeing that hip hop and musicals can go together, and it's not just. People singing, you know, stereotypical like Rodgers and Hammerstein show tunes. Not mm-hmm. that there's anything wrong with Rodgers and Hammerstein show tunes. Right. So I, I, I feel really lucky to have sort of gotten in on that Hamilton wave before it turned into the like tsunami that it is now. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like now it's it's we're like at peak Hamilton. And it's it's like where is it going to well, go? Well, we said from that. Here? I mean, yeah, you say that now, but like we, I think we said that months ago, and it keeps, it just keeps going, it keeps cresting, and because uh, it's really that good. I mean, that's the, it's one of those things that somebody, 
I don't remember who said that to me. Somebody was another person in the theater who hadn't heard it yet and said, is it really that good? And I said, yes, it really, it really is that good. It, very few things are, but it's really, it's really that good. Um, yeah, you're really, I mean, to see it, to see it at the public and to see it before, I mean, I've seen, I love going to see shows and previews. Um, because of the fact that once the show opens and it's kind of locked, like that's it. But when you see it in previews or like you saw it at the public, that was a different show. Not entirely, but there were differences in it. There were things that were changed and moved and lyrics. And they could, some of them be unnoticeable, but that's what live theater is to me. Like you saw not only a unique performance of a live show, but a version of that show that no longer exists. Um, and that is special. I mean, that's a, that's a once once an experience, and then you say like somebody was trying to throw it away behind you, but you can't have everything all the time, you know. I wonder what she thought she was going to see. That's always my question with those sorts of things when people say like it's too long or it's too whatever. I wonder how like what did you think you were coming to? I'm just curious because with Hamilton, very few people knew anything about it, other than it was a hip hop history. I mean, all I knew about it was when I first heard it was it's a hip hop history musical, and you know, Lin Manuel is Lin Manuel, who I knew his work obviously, but yeah, it's a it's an inscrutable thing to be in to see something like that and to be to be a part of it because you are when you're in the audience you're a part of what's of the room the, the of what's going on the room where it happens the room where it happens yes there you go <laughs> that's good i'm throwing them out and you're picking them up that's great so but if you this is really funny as as somebody who was is such a huge fan of musicals and i mean you you you've been listening to this podcast pretty much since the beginning because we follow each other on twitter like i say and what's hilarious to me, as I'll tell the story of that, you messaged me about whether or not I knew Carrie Ginsburg because you two worked together and she was listening to the podcast and she asked you about it. And then you, of course, not only listened to it, but followed me on Twitter. So you're also thought of as somebody who would like something like this, would be into cast albums, would be into this sort of conversation. So if it all started with Chicago, how quick, how old were you when you first saw it? Uh 1920-ish. Okay. And then it, did it just spider out through college from there, or did it still take a little longer to sort of snowball? This... It took a little bit longer just because in Milwaukee there isn't quite the performing arts community, and I didn't quite have the autonomy to go and see shows whenever I wanted, mm -hmm. even had they been there. So I really, when I moved to Washington, D.C., took advantage of the many, many opportunities here. Okay. And sort of tried to make up for lost time and I still feel like I'm doing that. Take advantage of these things when they come to town mm -hmm. because they might not come back or they yeah. might, you know, open and close or something. When I um when if then was here, mm -hmm. um I, I went to see that not just because the friend that I went with is a huge Adina Menzel fan. Um I'm ambivalent, which is probably taboo to say, but uh, we'll go. Not here. It's safe space here. Say whatever you want. It's a safe want. space. Right. <laughs> so If Then, which was also a very interesting production um, visually with what they did between kind of the if plotline and mm. the then plotline. And that was pre-Broadway, right? That was its yes. pre-Broadway. Okay. Yes. Because it was here for a while, I remember it. Yeah. Work working out. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the chance to get to see something here before it goes to Broadway. I did it with Sideshow at the Kennedy Center as well. Mm -hmm. And you, you feel like you're getting sort of a peak a sneak peek Absolutely. kind of a thing, which is super cool. And even for a production that is locked, that is, you know, going to be the same thing every night. Well, it's not exactly the same thing every night, oh, right? Sure. Live is live. Yes, it and is. And so even if you've, I imagine, even if you've done the part a million times, there's going to be subtle differences from mm -hmm. night to night. And that excitement 
for me in the audience of knowing anything could happen. Mm-hmm. Anything could happen right now. And the the people on the stage would just roll with it. Yeah. I find that just very intriguing. Not that I would ever purposely cause a disruption. <laughs> like I'm too Midwestern right. for that. But that's not pure. I mean, what you're talking about is accidents. You're talking about something happens and it's unexpected. If you cause it, then that's that takes the fun out of it. That's true. It's yeah. it's like the uh, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? Like right. if you observe the electron, you have changed it. Right. So wow, dropping some science. There we go. Here we'll cast. hit it, then we'll talk about Copenhagen. The uh, I remember. I think about that when I see uh, when I saw How to Succeed uh, within with Daniel Radcliffe and during. I guess it's Company Way. There's this, the choreography was these guys tossing boxes around the stage and somebody threw a box into the audience and just, it just happened. And the guy like, and somebody caught it. It It's an empty box in the front row. And this guy, (laughs) one of the dancers leaned in and just kind of went and like put his hands out and the guy just threw it back to him. And the the scene just went on. I mean, it was no big deal, but it was this funny thing of like, the show had been run. I think it had already done the Tonys at that point. I'm not hundred percent sure, but it had been running for a while and that, that, just happens some nights, some things different. And also, little known fact, I mean, people who don't do theater probably, especially on that level, probably don't know that the cast is is, is not different night to night, but there are these things called swings who are these actors who are sort of understudies for la- large, di- what they call tracks, different dancers and different chorus members and, and cover a lot of the different roles because people are out for various reasons, you know, personal reasons or they get sick or whatever, every performance. So every night, it's not, exactly the same group of people. There's usually a couple, especially in big musicals, there's an intermix of two or three different people who are maybe doing it for the first time or doing that track for the first time, doing that particular dancers, particular moves, which are just ever so slightly different from everybody else's. And they can mess it up. They usually don't because they're tremendous performers. Swings swings are the, the reason we have theater in the first place. But there is a great, there is greater potential for chaos than you think at any given moment on the stage. So what it to, to zero it on this show specifically, what, what are your what are your moments of this show? What is the thing that stick out for you from Chicago that you, aside from Razzle Dazzle that you already yeah Razzle Dazzle up? when you're good to Mama, um, Cell Block Tango mm-hmm. is great. Um, I think the movie version I enjoy, the stage version I enjoy too, but it really is sort of the feeling. Sort mm. of the 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 glitz and the glamour, and also the 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 idea that these are really terrible people, but that you know what? Sometimes <laughs> the world is full of terrible people, mm-hmm. and you just have to deal with that. And I think of a song like Mr. Cellophane, and you realize poor Amos, oh, who just sad. gets the short end of every stick. Mm-hmm. Mr. Cellophane should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, cause you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there. Sometimes you're Billy Flynn, sometimes you're Mr. Cellophane, and that's just the way it goes, Hmm. but you've got to make the best of it, Hmm. right? That's interesting. You really have a positive turn on this show, like that. I think, in spite of it, like I think this show is daring, is like trying to make you not feel that way, and you just refuse. <laughs> I'll have to come back and that's pick so something great. else that's no, no, super dark. This is, no, this is and fantastic. Then turn it happy. But that's the thing is that I I think that. Because this is a meta show. I mean, this is a show, especially when you see it on stage, where it's about people performing 
quote unquote, pretending to be other things. And then we see those performances in musical numbers. Like, I mean, Funny Honey is a fantastic example mm-hmm. where a character comes out and sings a love song of devotion to her husband. And then as the scene turns against her, the lyrics kind of turn against the husband. And this and it is a very meta theatrical moment. But you, as an audience member, have taken that meta experience and turned it back again onto the show where you're saying, like, because it is glitz and glamour and, and sequins and dancing and fun, ultimately, then it's all positive. It's an entirely positive experience. And I think that's that to me is a hallmark of a great show though, because the show survives that. Like you you've turned it around on the show. I think the show would then try to turn it back around on you again. And you're in this excellent relationship with the show. Like that this show is a living organism almost for you as, as somebody who keeps coming back to it and keeps enjoying it. Chicago murder, but also sequence. Right. And that's, but that's, the, it's also the, they are the nicest murderers you've ever met in your entire life. They are not, because they're just people. That's the thing I really like about this show is that the, everybody's wants and needs are very clearly defined. And I think Billy Flynn has, it's not on the recording, but it's, it's in the movie, it's in the show, where is it $5,000 he needs? I believe it's $5,000. He need like, that's his fee is $5,000. And, to the extent of which he has the line to Amos. I don't like to blow my own horn, but believe me, if Jesus Christ had lived in Chicago today and if he had $5,000 and he'd come to me, things would have turned out differently. Which I just think is a tremendous, I mean, it's such a great joke. But he then, he lives with it because, he, he, he lives by that maxim because, you know, Roxy has all this publicity and all this stuff, but until she he gets $5,000 from them, he is not going to do anything. He's mm-hmm. not in it for the fame. He's in it for the money and knows that with the fame comes money, but you need the money first. Like He needs his fee up front because nothing is guaranteed. That's the thing he understands that I think Roxy doesn't understand is that this will eventually run out. And when it does, I, I'm going to need that money you know, to keep me, sustain me on. And Mom is kind of the same way. Mama is in it for, for herself, for the money and for the thing. And I think Velma gets that even more than Roxy does the, the, with her, her act of desperation is, you know, with what is the, I can't do it alone. Um, understanding that, that her, her position is not secure in, in this world in a way that Roxy constantly surprised that people stop paying attention to her mm-hmm. from the beginning. I mean, that's what, that's why she kills Fred, I can't remember Fred's last name, but she kills him because he's leaving. Like it's and it's really in the play in the movie. It's very emotional and it's got this like Renee Zellweger screaming and crying. In the play, she just shoots him. He just says he's leaving, and she says nobody walks out on me and shoots him, and that's it. That's all we get. We don't get kind of more. Yeah, I, I think this this is a fascinating, fascinating kind of Brechtian show that you've chosen that you've then got developed a deep emotional relationship with despite what Brecht would really want you to have. I'm from the Midwest. If we can put a shine (laughs) on it, if we can polish the turd, we will. It's very true. Thank you so much for coming. This has been wonderful to meet you and wonderful to talk about a show that's so special to you. So we we plugged your Twitter already. Can you say it again? Mediva M. M-E-D-E-V-A-M. Okay. And normally I ask people to plug what they're, what's coming up, but obviously you don't have anything. So, but I do want to, aside from Titanic, what else are you seeing in the future that you're excited to see? I will be seeing King Charles III at Shakespeare Mm -hmm. Theater Company. I have uh, a ticket to Fun Home when it comes to the National. Okay. And Chicago, which is coming to the Kennedy Center. Mm-hmm. So it'll it'll be a busy springtime. That's good. 
That's really good. And you haven't seen Fun Home or any of that. How, do you get up to New York a lot to see shows? I know you go every now and again. But... I go every now and again. I don't get to see shows as often as I would like. So mm-hmm. I, I love it when touring productions will come here. Mm-hmm. And then it's – I can't not go. I can't in good conscience not go when it's in my own backyard. That's so great. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for being you. I really mean that genuinely because without – and the reason I like to have people – who are fans of music theater on this show is because we are all fans of music theater, but not all of us are dedicated (laughs) to the actual ticket purchasing, sustaining of what we do. And we do what we do for you at the end of the day. I mean, we do it for us, but we do it for you too, because if you're not out there and enjoying it and telling everybody about it and voting with your dollars to come see it, it doesn't exist. And Thank you so much for being on behalf of everyone on this side. Thank you so much for being on that side. I'm happy to usher in a wave of millennial patrons of the arts. There we go. Let's get them. Yeah, subscribers all. The original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Heather Hurley for coming down and talking to me tonight. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. (laughs) 